Welcome to The Get Together. It's our show about ordinary people building extraordinary communities. I'm your host, Bailey Richardson. I'm a partner at People and Company and a co-author of Get Together, How to Build a Community with Your People. Yeah. And I'm Kevin Huynh, Bailey's co-host today, also a partner at People and Company. That's our strategy company where we help organizations build meaningful communities. In each episode of our podcast, we interview everyday people who have built extraordinary communities about just how they did it. How did they get the first people to show up? How did they grow to hundreds, maybe even thousands more members? Today, we're talking to the leaders of NOW, Colom Cayenne Salvador, Andrea Venzon, and Laura Gianni. In 2016, Colom, Laura, and Andrea were devastated by the UK's decision to leave the European Union. Colom is French, and Andrea and Laura are Italian, so for them, the EU is a symbol of a more open and global society. The team completely changed their lives to start a political party. Colom and Andrea created Volt, a brand new pan-European party. They were the first people to attempt and succeed in building a continent-wide political party in the history of the European Union. But in doing so, they realized two things. First, they observed that the biggest issues of our time are global issues, that even national party politics are unable to respond to sufficiently. Issues like climate change, regulating the tech giants, taxing those big global companies, and protecting human rights. Action will be meaningless, they realize, unless the whole world joins in. Second, they notice that today's youth are energized about political issues, but not about politics. While the young generation is as ambitious and idealistic as ever, most young people's thoughts on politics seem limited to, who should I vote to stop? Thus today, informal, quasi-leaders lists, digital first movements are taking the role formerly occupied by political parties to rally supporters and make the case for change. So Colombe, Andrea, and Laura have been working over the last year on a global campaign called NOW to unite and solve shared global challenges. Through developing leaders around the world and coordinating actions together, members of NOW put pressure on governments to pass into law shared solutions to those huge global challenges. Kevo, what's one thing you learned from our conversation today with the NOW team? You know, what I'm going to be thinking about after this interview is the power of finding common calls to action among very different people in different places with different backgrounds. You know, to me now is figuring this out live. For instance, connecting people around the world to put more women in power, to shift representation of women in political offices. Now, now what that looks like and how to make it happen may look very different depending on the place. But at a high level, it's what many people care about. And they can learn from each other and inspire each other to help make more of that happen. So I think even if you're building a smaller community around interest or profession and you wouldn't consider yourself a political movement, there's a lesson there, right? How you probably have an opportunity to find that common call to action and enable your people to act on it together. You as a leader or an organizer have that visibility to kind of see where the commonality lies. I love that. You ready to jump in, Kev? Yes, let's jump in. Yeah. All right. Colom, Laura, and Andrea, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. I'm so inspired by your work, and I, I can't wait to have this conversation today. We really feel like people who are doing work to organize communities of people 
they can't fake the funk, as, as we like to say, you know, they're motivated by something personal and meaningful to them in the work that they do. So I'm curious, you know, what drove you, each of you, perhaps, whether it was your upbringing, your personality, maybe life experiences to change your life and devote yourself to a political movement? Thank you so much, Vinis, uh, for these opportunities. Uh, we're very delighted to be here. Uh, I, I'll take this first question. Uh, I think that obviously um, each one each one of us has different experience, so I'm going to speak for myself. Um, but I think that the whole motive behind the work that we have started, first focus on Europe and now with a global perspective, is the fact that people actually uh, have the same hopes and dreams across borders, and they really want uh, to have a way to get together and express uh, these hopes and dreams and work together uh, for to achieve some results. And this was clear for us during our first work that we did in, on Europe during the European elections, when it was clear that at least a significant amount of the population of uh, Europe felt like we, we, we came from the same background. We had the same um, uh, way of, uh, you know, hoping for a different kind of politics, a different kind of vision of the future of our continent. But there was no way to express that. All our political um, parties, movements, and social movements were really nationally focused. And so we brought, we gave a house to these people, or at least we gave a way for these people to build a house. And together we built you know, communities all over Europe, and we're going to talk about this later. Uh, but we found a way to bridge differences and bring people to work together. And the same happened uh, when we actually shifted our focus to the global level, and this is what we're doing right now. And we noticed that there is absolutely no reason for people from different cultures or different uh, you know, religious groups or different, simply different continents not to work together to tackle the biggest challenges of our times. And obviously, uh, the pandemics we're living into is one of them. For me, the idea of actually bringing people together across borders and giving them a meaningful way to engage on the topics that are defining our lives is definitely what brought me to take on these activities. I'm coming from a different experience from Andrea and Colomb because um, I just jumped straight into now when I saw Andrea and Colomb launching it in January of this year. The project of now really gave me the space to do some good in the world. So I I took the plunge and I joined Andrea and Colomb in this new project of now. One thing I'd, I'd love to point out just because, you know, I'm an American and Kev's an American and we, you know, haven't had the exact same experiences of uh, what you call the Erasmus generation. Um, that's to me seems like such an important, rich insight that you have had and are taking to a global perspective now, but sort of was incubated in your experiences being a part of this generation of Europeans who who could experience and connect with other cultures in a way that so many others had 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 more friction in doing before. I don't think any of us did an Erasmus. Obviously, it's easier to connect with someone if you have some sort of shared experience. So if you, you know, if you were able to travel to that place, that's great. But we realized very quickly that we literally share the same hopes and dreams across borders. And I know it sounds super cheesy to say this, but I really mean it. We connect with people from um, Nairobi and I'm from Paris and Laura's from Rome. Um, 
and then people in Seattle, in the US and in Hong Kong um, working together to try to change the world. We have the same um, hope that by uniting and by working together, we can actually try to solve issues that go beyond borders. And, and I think it really creates a, maybe a virtual but a, a shared experience that is even stronger in a way than being able to travel to a place. After working for two years on a pan-European political party uh, that you started, Colom and Andrea, and you elected your third partner to the European Parliament, uh, you were the first people to attempt and succeed at creating a pan-European party. You decided to shift your focus. You, you Colom, in your TED Talk, describe looking Andrea in the eyes and, and having a hard conversation about whether or not Volt was the most impactful work that you could be doing and whether you needed to change your focus. And that has led to where you are today. But I want to talk to you about that moment. Why did you decide to shift away from working on a party, a pan-European party at Volt to a movement, which is what you're focused on today? the focus with Volt was always to try to impact change, right? So to make the world somehow a better place. And just to give you a bigger background, we started um, working on Volt on the idea that we have a political European Union, but we don't have political parties. So to put it into context, it's like if in the United States, you had states parties, but no federal mm. um, consistency, which would be really weird to govern the US. Mm. Um, mm. So we started thinking about this after Brexit, um, it was kind of a, a shock, um, not necessarily that it happened, but that, you know, we were in the situation um, where a country was leaving the EU, uh, something that kept us more or less in peace since the Second World War and that really led to um, a lot of prosperity. And we believed and still do, at least I do, and I'm sure that Andrea would agree on this, that we needed to try to do something to keep the European Union together and to solve European problems. And it became logical that, you know, if you don't have European politics, you can't really solve European problems. So we should try to create it by creating a pan-European party. And two years in, we elected Damien and Afrat Kofanda and a couple of people at the local level. And this was um, a great success. And vote will continue to run and I hope succeed. But it was for European issues. The point is you can't solve global issues at a European level. And after the European elections, kind of taking a step back, we did have this really hard conversation because we worked a lot in the last um, three years on this, but of asking ourselves, why, what do we actually want to achieve? What, what are we putting all of this energy in for? Um, and we realized that we wanted to try to solve global issues. And by global issues, I don't mean an abstract concept, but you know, climate change goes beyond Europe, beyond the US, beyond individual countries and continents. So does the fact that um, Amazon or Facebook are not taxed in every country. And you have a lot of problems like this that just can't be solved within one single country. Um, and so we, we thought that we ought to try to unite people beyond borders and beyond continents. And, and so we decided to use those techniques that we learned in the last few years of mobilizing people across borders at the grassroots level, of creating local teams that you know, organize, discuss, and impact change. And, and to bring this at a more um, global level. What, was that decision hard to start over again? Or was it, was it not you know, such a hard decision? It, it just made complete sense and you knew that was what you needed to do. Um, look, I think that it was definitely hard. Uh, every time you invest, I think, a lot of energy and passion in a project, uh, moving on to something else is um, 
very, very painful and, you know, difficult. But I think that once you realize that you could do more in a different way, um, and also like the, the, the previous project would still be running without uh, major difficulties, I think it's, a, it's not really a decision. It's more like you must do it. Uh, at least mm-hmm. is how me and Colomb saw it. Um, and um, so definitely there was a period of, you know, hey, let's take this decision, it's not easy, uh, but we, we must do it. But then after the switch was made, I think that the first call we had with, you know, people from Nairobi, uh, people from Buenos Aires, people from Toronto, discussing how we could actually launch a campaign together and mobilize people across borders, it repaid of all, you know, the, the sorrows and, and, and mm. difficulties that we, we went through this transition. So I think, yeah. yes, I think that for whoever is listening, if you're planning to change project, it's, it's always <laughs> tough, but I think it's definitely worth it if, you, if you're sure of yourself. Yeah. So on January 1 of this year of 2020, you announced now officially uh, a global movement aimed at bringing citizens from all over the world like you said, to work together to tackle the issues that are global and are really important, like rising nationalism, the fact that democracies are eroding, climate change. And how did you bridge maybe some of the work you're doing from Volt to now? Was there any overlap in the volunteers, the people you were working with, or did you see it as sort of starting from, you know, for, starting from step zero? As Andrea said, you know, a switch in project also requires a bit of a switch in mentality in a way. So we wanted to make sure, one, because we still believe that vault is needed, that we didn't take the members away or the volunteers away, mm. um, but that, you know, both projects are needed, we believe, for for the world. So we, we did a lot of outreach. Um, and it sounds weird, but like, literally tweeting at people being like, oh, are you interested in joining a global movement? We saw you're active on those topics. Um Let's talk. No, this is exactly what I want to hear. This is the <laughs> details that no one ever talks about. Like, how do you start a global movement? You know, I'm, I'm just so curious. It's such a big vision. But what are the small ways that it starts? Uh, so I can tell you practically. First, you express the idea and everyone laughs at you. <laughs> because it, sounds, <laughs> it sounds really weird. The, the concrete steps were we needed funds to be able to launch it, to create a tech infrastructure for people to join from all across the world. Because to be a movement, it can't just be actions on the street. People need to communicate. They need to unite. They need to work together. Mm-hmm. And when you work globally, Facebook is not really an option because in China, you don't have access to it. Mm-hmm. Um, or WhatsApp is not as available everywhere. And so, on. so we had to create our own tools. And so we launched a very simple, I'm a bit ashamed of it now, but like a very, very simple um, web page saying we wanted to launch a global movement and we needed help. And mm-hmm. we asked people to buy their memberships in advance. Mm-hmm. Um, and this enabled us to create um, the tech and get started. Uh, and then, yeah, we tweeted at people talked about a bit about it on Facebook and so on. And the first day we literally had a few thousand people who joined and thought, Oh my God, this is one a bit weird, but second, um, we think it's needed. So let's try it and let's see how it goes. What did those early days look like when you were working on now? Um, how much of the platform did you need to develop in advance and how much of it did you want to co-create and, and what else was on your mind? I think, um, I can give a bit of, uh, the perspective of someone that was amongst the thousands that joined on the first day. And now, you know, looking back, it was 10 months ago. And every time Colombian and Andrea say, oh, you know, like when we saw you joining as, you know, on the 1st of January, we thought, why? Like, why is she not <laughs> celebrating the new year? Um, mm-hmm. 
but I think it was a, a fantastic um, time to join. And I think as someone that was a volunteer first, everything looked really new. And, you know, as Colom mentioned, there was a very small website. And um, at the beginning, I remember we would get in touch with uh, people from all over the world through um, small groups online. And then it kind of developed into something bigger through the months by creating, uh, you know, a more organized website and then a forum where people can meet uh, with others where we can discuss and brainstorm on campaigns to brainstorm on ideas and bringing up solutions on global topics. And so I think that you could really see the shift into something that was going in the right direction. And then um, throughout the months, even the first two, three months, you saw communities starting to building around one point person in different cities. And through that, we, uh, you know, Andrea and Colomb first, and then um, I joined as well. We started building uh, a, a better website, uh, a forum that could be really inclusive and and, you know, could really bring people together. These are things that we continue to evolve every day. But uh, I think that there has been a huge shift already. Yeah, it sounds like a very iterative process. You build as you go. I think that what this shows is that if you have the passion, if you have the commitment, everyone can build anything. And I'm not saying it like as a motivational guru in a, in a conference, <laughs> but actually, because it's true, I mean, Colombia and I started as we said, we never travel most of the continents we named before. We don't know many cultures. We are we are learning as we go. But with a, you know a good idea and a small initial investment of a website, for example, we managed to build a community that then supported itself and grow and uh, grew and and now is actually present in more than a hundred countries. One thing that really stands out to me about both of you, Andrea and Colom, is there's something about your ability to communicate that I think if you t say uh, we're trying to reunite people in a global movement, it might feel abstract to people or they might expect it to feel kind of the corporate politics that, that we're used to in some ways. But Andrea and Colom, if you can just share some of how you, how you think about that communication. Yeah, I think the main thing is we actually think about it in the real world. So in the sense, you know, we don't think of, of big concepts for three months and <laughs> how we can actually implement it and then talk about it with very complicated mm. words. One, because we work in English and English is not my native language, so it would be very hard. But second, it's just we, we have an idea, we try it out and we talk about it with people. And it sounds like an easy way of going about it, but it's actually very true. If you talk, if you stop someone on the streets, and ask them what mm. are the biggest issues they're facing, you will realize that it's the same across borders. And we actually did this. Like we do a lot, I mean, now with COVID, it's a bit <laughs> changed, but we used to do a lot of physical and um, on the ground events, you know, signature collections in the street, listening mm. tours and so on. And, and you just realize that people literally give you the same answers. They want a safe future. They want to be able to live in an affordable house. Um, they want a job. And then, yes, they also want to be able to um, survive the climate crisis. And they want to live in a democracy and so on. And from the moment you actually base it on um, people and not very abstract concept of a global democracy or mm. uh, of a global tax system, but what this would mean for our everyday lives, I think it's much easier to communicate. And then the people you meet also give you the tools on how to communicate, right? Like 
I told you at first, my friends laughed a lot at me, but it's because I had no idea mm. how to talk about what I was trying to create. It was just too abstract. It didn't resonate at all. Um, and then we started, and that's actually how we met Laura at first, um, in an event in London that we did in a pub. Um, and we, we were trying to explain what we're trying mm. to do. And people were telling us, well, actually, this for me is not really a concern. Or for me, this is something that I don't really see how I can impact change across borders. But have you thought of women's rights? Have you thought of democracy and so on? And for me, it's really just a process of um, co-creation with people, of listening and trying to understand how to actually impact change for us all and not just on a theoretical level. It's then much easier to communicate. Mm, I, I love that. I, I really appreciate that. And I think that's something that when I look at community builders beyond political, just the political sphere, it's the center of the job is listening and reflecting back to the community, whether it's in services or tools or in stories and language, what it is that those people actually want instead of kind of building for them from a distance with, with an abstract approach or, like you said, a theoretical approach. Laura, I want to I want to talk to you about your work a little bit. You know, this one of the things that really struck me in in learning more about now is that you're having I think weekly events that are like you said hosting conversations about topics important to people who are part of now or considering perhaps being a part of now. And I'm I'm curious just you know, I, I don't hear about many people in my life who are politically activated going to weekly events to discuss these issues with a broader base of people. And why did you decide to host these events? And, and can you tell us a little bit about the design of them, how they work? Of course. Um, when Andrea and Colomb la- launched now, they probably didn't imagine a, a pandemic hitting on us. But I think that you know, having the possibility through a screen to connect with people from all over the world is already something amazing. And, you know, what we really wanted to to do is focus a lot of the work that we do on, on our volunteers, because these are people that from all over the world decide to give up their time to push forward our campaigns. And those are the people that have the most creative ideas, the most innovative ways, the greatest solutions that you can think of to move global issues and understand them from a a local lens as well. We engage with volunteers in different ways. One of the ways um, that you just mentioned is through weekly events that we do. Um, So every week we host community chats, which are basically events for our members and our community to come together and talk about global topics from a local perspective. And the reason why we do this is because, as Andrea and Colomb mentioned, a lot of the volunteers and, you know, like us, they haven't traveled around the world. Uh, They don't know many cultures. They might not have knowledge about how a global issue might affect people in a specific country. So we really wanted to be able to bring the community together, but not only to have nice conversations, because sometimes, you know, the the topics that we tackle may be quite difficult and quite uh, quite hard to understand from different perspectives. But, uh, you know, we really wanted to use these community chats to uh, put together people that can share their experience and knowledge 
and think about how global issues uh, are affecting them at the local level. And this is fundamental uh, for what we do. And um, to answer your second question on how we approach designing these events, I think that um, we're super lucky because we have um, volunteers that are really, uh, they are really passionate about what they want to talk about. So it's it's amazing when we see uh, volunteers coming to us and tell us, I would really love to do this event on women's rights in Tunisia. And uh, I just mentioned this, but in the past months, we were able to hear from people from all over the world on so many different topics, um, you know, from LGBTQI rights to how technology um, is impacting democracy around the world. And so we were able to give them this platform to present their topics, but also to be ready to discuss it with people that might have different views, might come from a different perspective, but they are very much willing to listen to each other. In our community chat, we actually bring together the community. We get very good ideas for our campaigns. And we have a very specific example. Our pro-democracy campaign was started after a community chat, or more like what we call the Viotron Town Hall. There's um, the same of a community chat with members, but where we invite an external guest. Uh, with the activist Joshua Wong from Hong Kong. And basically he he told our community the story of Hong Kong, the Hong Kong struggle, and how um, basically democracy is being eroded there. And because of the chat, the chat that we had, our community started feeling very uh, clearly an, imp- an urge to, to do something. And so from that, we crafted a campaign and we actually started, I think so far, the one of the most popular campaigns that we have launched on democracy. And it's interesting because it came really from one of these moments of you know sharing and, and coming together. It wasn't on our radar before. We were thinking about other other topics and this um, made clear to us there was a need that, were, mm. that our community wanted to, to tackle. I, I, I know that you organize people in different cities around the world to protest at the Chinese embassies in their countries. And that to me just really demonstrates the the global power that you have if you are a global movement to show up physically and put pressure on these global systems in in more than one location. So so we have a global community, but that's not the purpose. We want to impact global change. We think there are global problems that exist and we can only solve them by working together, ideally our governments would be capable of cooperation. It's often not the case, um, unfortunately, so we have to unite as people across the world to demand that they do better. Um, But I do believe that there's a huge power in underground um, protests, events, and so on, that is often much stronger than digitally, which is why COVID makes all of this a bit difficult sometimes. and on this campaign that you just mentioned, basically, we, we noticed, as Andrea said, the fact that democracy has been, um, you know, backing down um, and in retreat for now, I think, five consecutive years. Um, and in some places, it's obviously worse, like in Hong Kong, um, like the current genocide happening against the Uyghurs and so on. And we very quickly, after a lot of discussions with members, realized that there's not really any way for people that are directly affected by authoritarian regimes to um, succeed alone. 
sometimes it happens and that's great. Um, but when you have a country that is so powerful like China, you need the international community to rally be- behind those actually fighting for freedom. And so we, we designed a campaign where we call for um, the creation of the League of Democracies, so for big economic powers that are democracies to unite and actually you know, impose economic and diplomatic sanctions on those responsible for those democratic and human rights violations. But all of this, all of those are a bit big words as well. And it's hard to communicate and it's hard to, you know, mobilize governments behind this simple idea. So we volunteers, we um, came out with the idea that we would start hosting weekly protests um, at first in front of uh, Chinese embassies. And we're now moving them in front of government's buildings. And they're happening in more than 40 cities online. They reach more than 3 million people. Um, to demand that big democratic powers actually start acting and doing something about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, looking at your website, you have people everywhere from South Sudan to Russia to the Philippines, all around the world. And I'm just amazed at the, the ability to create global conversations. Tell me more about what happens at a community chat and how does that ladder up to, you know, what what do you want the outcome to be? Um, So I think that, you know, community chats are are just an example of what we do with volunteers by organizing uh, local teams around the the campaigns, the global issues that we have. But definitely, you know, community chats are another good way to bring people together that perhaps wouldn't uh, meet through those local teams. Agreeing to disagreeing during community chats is one of the most important thing. And I think that because we established pretty strong um, guidelines that are, you know, um, rooted in the values of now, during those community chats, people are very um, respectful about each other and about different views. And the way that we organize them is pretty simple. We have uh, volunteers that decide to host the community chat they propose a, a topic and the topic needs to have a global perspective. But the, the whole point is for them to bring their local knowledge. And the, the person that hosts the event decides to either prepare a presentation or have an interactive way for people to um, discuss the topic. But they present the, the main topic for 20, 25 minutes. And then we open the floor to a very open discussion. And, you know, most of the time people may not agree on everything, but I think that because if they are here and now, it means that they hopefully believe in the in, in our core values. It's it's often an amazing time for people to understand each other's perspectives and perhaps, you know, even changing their mind about some topics. It's very important to put also in perspective that the community chat were very important, especially during the peak of COVID and maybe for a few extra months it will be the case. But the idea is that after this period, we're going to go back um, to activate a lot of teams on the ground. And I mean, protests and action are still going on all over the world uh, in our organization. And we have teams you know, fighting for democracy and for the rights in front of different institutions and different level of government. Um, and so... Hopefully, we're going to be able to transform this model of virtual community chat. They are, are very powerful because bring together people from all over the world to also become 
local, uh, more locally focused um, community chat, chat. So where people come together physically and discuss topics, and we try to bridge the problem that often happens in communities, sadly all over the world, uh, of division and very strong, especially political lines that divide people. And so I hope that this community chat that we run will be a way to bridge a gap that for me are tearing a bit apart a society. One of the big insights we've had from our our interviews and research we've had with so many different communities is that thriving communities need what we call a, a shared activity, which is sort of like the equivalent of what church once was, is something that happens on Sunday. People can expect it to happen and it convenes the community together with a sense of sort of focus. I think as I hear you talk about these community chats, they might seem like a small thing um, from the outside, but they really allow people to tap into the purpose of now, which is to 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 learn more about global issues and and to connect with other people who who feel the way that they do and, and kind of manifest that sense of unity. It's not something that I think especially with the within the party system or the the movements I see in the United States, I, I see a real gap there in terms of these repeatable, purposeful, participatory activities that I plug into uh, with regard to the politics that I care about. When you see people actually having this common activity that you talk about, I think it's way more around our campaigns because the way we chose to organize our members and volunteers um, has been hyper-local. So at the city village or town level um, and around the campaigns that we're running. So people are getting involved with one campaign, whether it be on, you know, uh, um, sharing uh, COVID vaccines across the world, um, stopping climate change, um, increasing democracy or women's rights or else. Um, and they push forward this campaign at the local level as a team. And they also meet digitally, they, they meet physically, they do actions but they really, they have those weekly activities, those weekly meetings. Mm. And we'll be, you know, we also create those rituals to make sure that it's, it's as you said, an activity that the community engages around. So from having music to speeches and so on, and that are quite similar. And then we'll meet as a group with the team to discuss, um, mm. one, how they feel about it, because certain, of those, certain topics are very emotionally loaded for people that are directly connected to them. So when you have a you protest for Hong Kong and you have a big group of Hong Kongers that had to flee um, their home city to be able to um, leave freely, it's not an easy thing to do to put yourself out there like this. But then also organize and understand how to impact change um, further. So I think the community chat is definitely one of the ways, but I would say it's more of a peripheral one where we share stories. We have some about very different yeah. topics, from you know, mental health in the pandemic to whatever. But the core of at least what amazes me with the members we have is that they really put themselves out there. Sometimes it's not that easy when you know the consequences it can have and whether they do it physically or digitally to actually impact change. So they don't just talk. And I think that's the thing I'm the proudest mm. of at least is we really manage to create a community of doers, not only of talkers, which mm. is often the case. And but people who will always look at how they can impact the world more, how they can impact change. Laura, I want to ask you, as someone who began as a volunteer and now is doing a lot of the work, as, a, as far as I can tell, interacting with people who are on the ground, what has been one of the most powerful moments for you thus far since, since now began? Really at the beginning, 
when I had a first meeting with the London team, as Colomb said, um, we have these local teams on the ground. And this was a, at the beginning of February when we were still meeting uh, people face to face a long time ago. But um, at that time, I was a volunteer at NOW. And I remembered the moment that Andrea um, actually sent me an email and he was like, hey, Lara, I saw that you're in London. We don't have a local team yet. Do you want to take the lead? It was an amazing push for me because at the time, I think I definitely needed um, an exciting escape from my daily job. So I didn't think about it twice. And, you know, I started building together a team. And it was a very special moment because when I start sending out email, it was to people that I've never met before, that I, you know, I could only see their names online. And I thought, who knows what's what's going to happen after this. And I remember that within the space of, I think, two, three days, I had already been contacted by two other uh, women who are were here in London at the time. And they were like, we, we heard of it. We, we want to help. Tell us mm. what, what we can do. It felt like super surreal because you end up meeting people that you've never met before, but also with whom like you only spoke maybe once on the phone. But when we first met, I think that that was one of the most powerful moments because everything started coming together. I went from, you know, sitting in my room, imagining ways in which I could impact change. And then there we were. We were a team of three people that, you know, were pushing other people to start acting rather than just listening. Andrea, one thing that I spotted in your background is that you used to be a management consultant. And one question I want to ask you, given what I probably know about about your brain and way of thinking is, you know, what's what's one of the clearest learnings you've had or had reinforced through your experience of building a party and now a movement for for four years? What what sticks out to you? So, yes, I'm guilty. I used to be a management consultant. <laughs> um, I think that, I mean, if, if I look back and uh, uh, what I did in the past and what we're doing right now, I think really the, the main lesson I've learned is that anything is possible. And it sounds such a basic thing, but actually if, if you put the time, the energy and the passion, there is, you can make your, your cause, the issue that you care about, uh, something that other people care about. And this is the, the beginning of everything. When you create a team, a group of people, that actually want to take action with you in a particular matter, you are halfway to the success. And for me, this is the biggest learning because I had no clue. And, you know, when I, when I started uh, being more interested in politics and social change, I really thought about it as almost as a start with a startup start mentality. Like, okay, we need to have the operations running. We need to have the activities being super focused. And then actually I realized that this comes after. The really important thing is to find the right people to um, mm. to to push forward a, a dream, an idea, a project. And I think in politics, in social mobilization, for me, really the people focus, and that's why I really like the name of your of your organization, is the most important thing <laughs> because one is the only thing that can make change happen. So for me, this is the biggest learning of the last three years, and then I can go ahead for <laughs> with many other learn- learnings. But these. Mm very fundamental for me. I appreciate you saying that. And it's funny because 
you know, we always tell people to start with the who, who brings the energy right now and who's the most important to whatever impact you're trying to have. And, and if you can focus on the who, then you can determine, you know, what those people want and, and how to build structures for them. But uh, starting with the who and perhaps a small group of people, I mean, we're talking five to 10 people even, <laughs> um, things, really big things grow from a small group of passionate people. And I, I feel like the world has made us doubt that as a, as a truth. I appreciate you emphasizing that point from your perspective. What message do you have for the folks who are listening right now? So I would bounce on what Andrea just said. It starts with you and it starts with one or two people. And we're not just saying this, you know, for, as Andrea said before, as a motivational guru speech, um, but it's actually very true. I mean, what we're trying to do is in itself completely insane to create something global and mobilize people across borders and solve global issues that are some of the biggest of our times. It's, beyond my comprehension on, on many good days. <laughs> and, but I think from the moment you believe that something needs to be done, who else to try than yourself in the first place? So what I would tell the listeners is, look, I, I think there's very few people today who could say that we can't make the world better, that we can't improve the current situation. And whatever topic you care about, right? Whether it's you know human rights, um, the economy, unemployment, fiscal justice, or else, like, there's a lot of room to improve. There's a lot of rooms to, to make the world a better place. Then the only question is, what are you going to do about it? In an ideal planet, you would have very responsible um, politicians who will be able to collaborate across borders and do it. And in today's world, unfortunately, there needs to be a push um, from people on the ground. And from a pragmatic perspective, my main point is you have nothing to lose, literally nothing. So I would ask people to actually start taking action. You know, if you like what we said, join now. <laughs> but if not, create your own global movement or, you know, create your own uh, music level to connect people across the world through music. I don't know. It could be anything, but do something. We don't have the luxury in uh, at the end of 2020, after a pandemic, after uh, waiting for big economic recessions to come and so on, for the world to suddenly become a better place. We are responsible for this and we have a lot of power to do so. Betty, you said it, it often starts with five to 10 people. And I completely agree. The amount of things and the amount of mountains we can move with five to 10 people willing to put the energy, the time, the passion um, to do it is incredible. And so I, I would really ask everyone to do whatever you can with whatever time you have available to change the world. And also, as a side note, it's fun. It's also a great thing <laughs> to do along the way because I don't just want to be depressing about, you know, the world is terrible, we need to act. It's also beautiful. But being able to connect with people from across the world, being able to work on all of those topics and actually have hope that there's a way forward and that you might be part of it. And that, you know, you meet people who are willing to give everything to change the world is incredible. It gives a new meaning to life. Mm. Thank you so much for this interview. And I'm just so inspired by what you've built, truly. If you want to connect with Now, you can reach them at now.world. You can become a member there and even join a local now group. Thank you to our team. Thank you to Rosanna Caban for engineering and editing, Greg David for his design work, and Katie O'Connell for marketing this episode. You can find out more about the work we do as people and company, helping organizations get clearer on who their most important communities are and how to build with those people by heading to our website, peopleand.company. 
Also, if you want to start your own community or supercharge one you're already a part of, our handbook is here for you. Visit gettogetherbook.com to grab your copy. It's beautiful and it's full of stories and learnings from conversations with community leaders like this one with the Now team. And last thing, if you've got the energy here at the end of the podcast, <laughs> we'd love if you'd click review of this podcast or click subscribe, click, click, click. <laughs> that really helps get these stories out to more people and promote stories of folks like now. It's probably a tap, you know, it's a tap. people it's on a tap. phones, maybe? That's right. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. What's, what's, it's a tap. what's the percentage on mobile? Tippity tap tap. Oh. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. Okay, bye. <laughs>